Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Expectations, we all have them, and they are powerful things. And often with expectations, they're like hidden below the surface. They're like in our blind spot. And so people would say, do you have expectations in Eleanor and Dave's dance? And you'd say, no, no, I don't have any expectations. But then, you know, we don't realize they're there until we're disappointed or we're disillusioned, dissatisfied. Somehow it's just not what we were expecting. I am... As I said to you, uh, I'm the missions pastor, so for the past uh, 30 years, I was on the mission field uh, based mostly out of India and Bangladesh. And I worked with an organization known as Youth with a Mission, YWAM. If you're familiar with YWAM, uh, they run a school known as a discipleship training school, uh, DTS. And these are six-month schools where we have students coming from uh, different nations, Uh, they're all different ages, different life experiences, and many of them coming from different denominations. And what we do in the DTS, it's very deliberate. We uh, do three months of lectures and training, and then we take this group of students as a team, usually into a developing nation where it's very simple living, very basic food, and uh, certainly very stretching, especially for those uh, that perhaps need more creature comforts or, you know, um, a little bit of space, a bit of buffer, because for 24-7, we are in each other's faces doing ministry in very challenging circumstances. And it's very deliberate, like I said, because... We are trusting that this intense environment of ministry is a real hothouse for God by his spirit to cause us to depend on him and to truly grow. So there's a real plug for any of you out there that want to do a DTS with Youth with a Mission. You'll all come flooding now uh, to do that. But uh, it it is very deliberate and... uh, You know, talking about expectations, so I used to lead teams that would go into places like India. And I never forget this one particular team. I I had uh, several young adults on the team, and there was a young man from South Africa. His name was Tinas. Do I have any South Africans in the room? No, not even one? Gosh, okay. Well, Tinas was from South Africa, and he was quite educated. He was 28 years old, and he was a vet by profession. Is that a finger? Oh, I thought that was a finger. I'm glad it was that finger and not a different finger. Well done. (laughs) I just saw that finger there. But uh, Tinas, he... um, What I felt when I would work with the team is... I always felt a little bit, perhaps he was a bit dismissive towards me, a little bit passive aggressive, but, you know, I didn't want to make it all about me, and I thought, you know, maybe I'm just imagining he's a little bit dismissive towards me, so I let it go on for a couple of weeks in the team meetings, 
And then I just thought, no, I have to address this. So I went to Tinas and I said, Tinas, is there something going on between us? Because I just feel like you're a little bit passive aggressive towards me and I'm just not sure. Is there, is there a problem between us? And I want to tell you, it was like opening the gates of hell. It was like I opened Mount Vesuvius, you know, Krakatoa, the volcano, because Tinas just exploded with all this pent up emotion and anger and frustration. And he said something like this. He said, you know, when I, when I chose to come on this team, I, I, I thought you'd be a better leader. I, I thought, I, I thought you'd be more like Jesus. And I, 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 I mean, what do you say? I thought you'd be more like Jesus. All I could say is, well, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Obviously, you're not getting what you were expecting. I am so sorry. But again, you know, Tinas, just like all of us, we place expectations in people. We place expectations. I don't care if it's in, in uh, you know, as you go home uh, today after church and you're feeling a bit hungry and you, you think, oh, well, I'll just pop on in there to McDonald's or Hungry Jack's or wherever you go. And, you know, you see the picture on the wall of this plump hamburger with tomatoes and crisp green lettuce and, you know, the sauce dripping off the side and you think, mmm, and then you buy it and you, you sit down, you open the little box and here's this, this shriveled up, um, you know, where the lettuce is 10 days old and it's kind of like in its last dying breath and, and the tomato's trying to crawl off the burger and, and you go, oh my gosh, such, such disappointment, yeah, you, you guys know what I'm talking about, yeah. We all have expectations, and it's only when, like Tinas, when, when they're not met, I expected you to be more like Jesus, when they're not met that we get disappointed and, and frustrated and, and at times angry, or, or we start to withdraw. We all can relate to that because we have that. We have that in one another, and we have that as we're going to see today, I believe, in who God is, expectations. And so today, as I said, is Palm Sunday. We know that this story is where Jesus um, comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and people are waving palm branches, doing liturgical dances and laying them at the feet of the donkey as he rides past. And uh, so we're going to pick up what I believe are groups of people that had expectations that Jesus didn't meet. Expectations in who he was, in how he should act, in how he should be. So we're going to pick that up today. But let's read from John chapter 12, verses 12 to 9. The next day, the great crowd that, has, that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes.
comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So that's taken from hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Zechariah talked about this particular passage. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Let me pray. Father, this morning we each come before you, not to, to hear my wisdom. Lord, that would be a, a poor expectation. But Father, to hear from you. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us today? We set our eyes on you. We turn our hearts towards you. We exalt you, King Jesus, to the highest place. Would you open our ears and our eyes and our hearts for the things that you want to say today? In Jesus' name, amen. So let's begin in looking at this passage, and you'll find the, the story of Palm Sunday, this particular story, in all of the Gospels. So let's just put it in its context. We know, you know, good biblical scholar work is to actually put the scripture in the context surrounding the events uh, that are around it. And so here we have Jesus riding into Jerusalem in what actually is his last week alive on earth, the week before Easter. And we know that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish festival, one of the biggest festivals that uh, Jewish people have called the Passover. So we know this from several instances in John chapter 11, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover Many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. And they kept looking for Jesus. As they stood in the temple courts, they asked each other, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? And in John chapter 1, uh, John chapter 12, verse 1, we're also told six days before Passover... Jesus came to Bethany. And the story goes on where the woman comes and anoints Jesus' feet with oil. And in verse 12, the passage we read earlier, it says the next day. Jesus, what does it say? Jesus uh, made his way to Jerusalem. So why, why is everyone heading to Jerusalem for the Passover. What is the Passover all, of, all about? One of the biggest celebrations in um, Jewish 
our life. Even till today, the Passover is a huge celebration. Right now in Israel, people would be beginning the festivities that go for basically seven days prior to Easter, celebrating the Passover. What's it all about? Now, you would remember that um, the story of God appearing to Moses in the burning bush and commissioning Moses to go to Pharaoh, the king of the leader of the Egyptians, that held the Jewish nation, the people in slavery, for 400 years. And Moses was told to go and ask Pharaoh, let my people go. Where you hold them as slaves, let them go and be free. And we know Pharaoh refuses outright to let the people go. And so God, through Moses, uh, challenges Pharaoh and says, if you don't let them go, then these plagues will come upon you. And so there's succeeding plagues, 10 plagues in all, that get more and more dramatic as they go along. And the last plague, nine times, Pharaoh refused to let the people go. And on the last plague, plague number 10, God says through Moses, tell Pharaoh if he does not let the people go, I will send an angel of death that will kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians. Now, that's a pretty big threat. But Pharaoh still hardens his heart and refuses to let the Israelites go. And so God tells the Israelites they are to take a lamb and they are to take its blood and put it over the doorposts of their homes. And they're not to come outside that evening as the angel of death passes over the homes that have the blood of the lamb on them. And they were safe. And the next morning, as the story unfolds, we see the Israelites leave, millions, over 1.2 million Jews, leave slavery, leave Egypt, and begin the journey into the promised land, set free, delivered, as they are led by God in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They are delivered through what was to become known as the Passover. And so every year to this day, the Israelites gather in Jerusalem where the, the holy temple is for cleansing and purification. Now, what's the cleansing and the purification about? It's not just for individuals, but it's for the whole city. The whole city of Jerusalem back then and today is cleansed. There's great washing of streets and washing of buildings. And in particular, there is spring cleaning abundant during Passover. And each home is responsible to cleanse any instrument that was used uh, in contact with leaven. So leaven is yeast, the, the product that we use in, in pasta, in bread, in cookies, in biscuits. Leaven is that product, as you guys know, that activates the dough to, to rise. Now you could say, well, what's this great you know, warfare of cleansing against leaven? What's leaven got to do with anything, yeah? Well, again, let's put it in the context to the Passover story. 
They left early the next morning after the angel of death had passed over them and kept them free. And Pharaoh said, go, go, because there was wailing in the city of all these Egyptians waking up and finding their firstborn children dead. And so the Israelites literally grab their belongings and they flee from the city. And so the tie to leaven is they had to leave without waiting for the yeast, the leaven, to activate in the dough. They had to leave with unleavened bread. In other words, it hadn't had time to rise and activate. And so to today, throughout Jewish history, people would go to the temple courts and be cleansed of any contact with leaven and cleanse their homes of any utensils, ovens, pots, pans that had had contact with leaven. And so this is the historical context into which Jesus has come. On this day of celebration, of this week of celebration. And so what I'd like us to do is we're going to briefly look at, in this historical context, three groups of people that I believe had expectations in who Jesus was in what Palm Sunday was all about, expectations in what the Passover was even all about and how it was to be celebrated. So the first group we're going to look at is the disciples. Now, the disciples had been following Jesus for three years. They had followed him with a real sense in their being that he was the Messiah, the Savior, the one who would rescue his people from the rule and reign of the Roman Empire. So now it wasn't under the slavery of the Egyptians back during the early Passover when they were set free, but it was the rule and the reign of the Caesar Augustus and the, and the Neros, the Romans that were over them. And we know that the disciples believed Jesus was the Messiah because there's the account of where Jesus turns to Peter and he says, who do you think I am? Who do you say that I am? And what does Peter say? You are the Messiah, the Saviour. Again, but it was with this understanding that Jesus was this political Saviour. And so what we see is Jesus, prior to going into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he turns to the disciples three times, and we see it in each of the Gospels, in Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark, Mark chapter 10. He turns to the disciples prior to going into Jerusalem, prior to the Passover, and he tells them, I must go to Jerusalem where I will suffer and be killed. Yet for some reason, the disciples just couldn't get that sunk into their head. Now, I don't know about you. If Jesus said to you three times, hey, I've got to head to Brisbane City Mall and there I'm going to suffer and be crucified and be killed, if we'd all go, what, huh? I don't know. 
but they just couldn't get it in their heads. And so let's have a look at Mark chapter 8. This is the first time, for example, that Jesus is telling them. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and that he must be killed, and after three days he would rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter, one of the disciples, took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples... He rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, what we need to understand about Peter rebuking Jesus when Jesus was telling him he was going to be, to be suffering and be killed at the hands of the, the Pharisees and the teachers, what we need to understand is naturally Peter and the disciples would have been doing something like, no, 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 no don't say that, rebuking him. Don't, don't talk like that. But Jesus knew in obedience, what God was calling him to. And he knew that Peter and the rest of the disciples expected this Messiah, this king that would come and politically rescue them from the Roman rule. And so Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Because the disciples would have been feeling such a mixture of thoughts and feelings as they headed to Jerusalem, where he's warned them three successive times what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. On that day, all those years ago, Palm Sunday, as he headed into Jerusalem, they suddenly saw the crowds with palm branches celebrating and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the King of Israel. I am sure they were scratching their heads going, okay, this isn't, you know, he talks about he's going to be suffering and being killed, but here are the crowds celebrating Hosanna. That word Hosanna is not a word we use today. Well, I don't know about your vocabulary, but I don't go Hosanna. But it means like a yeehaw, woohoo! It's a celebration term. It's a term of praise that was used. And it also, in the Hebrew, means save us. So it's like a woohoo! You're here to save us. It'd be like us doing that, for example, if Scott Morrison came to town. Or you may be going, uh-uh, not Scott Morrison. But it'd be the equivalent today of us waving little flags at a festival and having a celebration. Yeah? where they were looking again for this king that would save them. And so their expectation of Jesus, these followers of Jesus that had been with him for three years, what they quickly realized that week as the events unfolded is their expectations were squashed. Their expectations were not met. Jesus was not what they expected the Messiah to look like. And the events that happened that week 
were not what the disciples expected. Passover was supposed to be the celebration of remembering God's deliverance. And Jesus was simply captured, beaten, crucified, and dead. Let's look at the next group, the crowds of people. You know, here were the crowds that, that were laying down the palm branches, shouting, Hosanna, you know, he is the King of Israel. Blessed is the King of Israel. Blessed is, again, they had this understanding from seeing all the miracles that he had been doing previously. Just, just a chapter or two prior to this, Jesus rose Lazarus from the tomb. He raised the dead. These are the crowds that saw the miracles, the healing of the blind and, and the shriveled hands, the ones that saw the fish and the bread multiplied. They had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And so naturally here, Hosanna is a king that is coming to save us. Look at his power. Look at the miracles he performs. And that is what they were expecting. But we know in John chapter 12, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. It would be like the equivalent today of, you know, somebody doing a miracle and suddenly it's on TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook, you know, it's going all over the place and crowds are, are gathering almost like this celebrity, this rock star is coming in and he's the one that's got the power. He's the one that's going to overthrow the Romans and he is the Messiah. He's the one we're waiting for. He is the one that the Passover is all about. And he's just bringing his inauguration, his power to play right at the time of Passover, like all those years earlier when we were delivered from the Egyptians. Here comes the rock star, Jesus. Hosanna, blessed is the King. Only Jesus again, he did not come in the way they were expecting him to come. He was not the type of Messiah that the disciples and the crowds were expecting him to be. And that's why during the week, the last week of Jesus' life on earth, where he was imprisoned and beaten and all these things were happening, it's like any of us when we're disillusioned, when we're somehow disappointed, when we expected all this stuff from this person or, or, or this scenario of Passover, when it doesn't transpire, they turned within one week, less than one week, they turned from saying, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel to crucify Him. Crucify Him. He's not the one we were expecting. He's a deceiver. He's a charlatan. He is not. Give us Barabbas, the murderer. Let us be under Roman rule, the Pharisees said. 
He was not what they were expecting. He was not the type of person they were expecting. And the final group, the Pharisees themselves, the scribes, the ones who were the guardians of how Passover was to be celebrated, the ones who were learned, the ones who, who spent their whole time studying the scripture for what the Messiah was supposed to look like, for what, for what the times were supposed to be where the Messiah would set the people free. Again, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were waiting for the Messiah as well, where he would come and set up the Jewish nation. But again, Jesus was not what they had hoped for. He didn't act the way a Messiah should act. He hung out with, with prostitutes and sinners and he didn't behave the way a Messiah should behave. He didn't do what Messiahs should do. You know, Messiahs should be really religious. They should fast. They should, you know, uh, practice the Sabbath. They should do all these things. And Jesus blew it all. He didn't do what the Pharisees were expecting. How could he be the Messiah? And so when the crowds were racing around, Hosanna, Hosanna, and celebrating and laying down palm branches, a sign of victory, victory, like our little flags, it just irked the Pharisees to their very core that the people were being deceived by this charlatan. He didn't deserve the respect in their opinion. He wasn't educated. He was a nobody and his followers were nobodies. Fishermen, nothings, nobodies. He didn't deserve all this celebration and this celebrity status. Jesus frustrated them. And to come during Passover, the most holy of celebrations, where we celebrate and remember how we were delivered, this charlatan comes riding into town on what? A donkey? Not even with a big stallion and armies and, you know, a big display of power. This dude comes riding in on a donkey. And for the Pharisees and the religious leaders, I am sure deep down was this tension as they saw the crowds just swelling and celebrating and a little bit out of control, they would have been feeling nervous because they were the guardians of, of Jewish celebration, but under the Romans. So you can imagine, we need to keep the status quo. They are maybe a little bit fearful of what the Romans would do when they saw the crowd celebrating this king that supposedly is coming to save them. And so we see in John chapter 11, verse 48, the Pharisees turned and said, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and uh, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And in John 12, 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. 
So Jesus was not what they were expecting. If anything, Jesus was opposite, opposite to the core of any expectations that the disciples had, that the crowd had, that the Pharisees had. Jesus blew the box on expectation. He didn't come in power and might and trumpets and, you know, planes flying through the air with banners. He came on a donkey. He came in humility. He came with this this spirit, not of grandeur, of favour, of self-importance, but one of simply saying, I do what the Father calls me to do. Jesus came on Palm Sunday, disrupting lives and disrupting expectations. He blew the box, the lid on what we put on Jesus as disciples, as crowds, as Pharisees. This place where we like to put Jesus that somehow he's going to act a certain way and he's going to do a certain thing and he's going to save us a certain way. He came in the opposite to break every expectation. The pigeonhole that, that we, we, just like the disciples, the Pharisees and the crowds, this pigeonhole where we put Jesus and we say, that's how Jesus is. He blew the box apart. He, he, he broke every expectation. Now let's bring this home. What does this mean for you and I today? What are the expectations you have on Jesus? What are the expectations of how you expect him to act? Of how you expect him to answer prayer? Of how you expect him to be? What are those expectations that we all have, but we think we don't have them? But deep down, when they're not met, when we don't see Him answer prayer, when we don't see Him do what we expect Him to do, then we get frustrated, disappointed, disillusioned. He doesn't care. He doesn't hear me. He doesn't see me. And ultimately what's under that is He's not what I expect Him to be. He's not doing what I expect Him to do. He's not acting the way I expect Him to act. Are we any different to the Pharisees or to the crowds or to the disciples? I think not. And that's why in one week they shifted from Hosanna to crucify. What is it going to take for you, for me to shift in one week? Oh, you're King of Kings, Lord of Lords. This is a joke. He doesn't do what I expect. To turn our backs on Him. What's your expectation of Jesus? Maybe you expect him to, I don't know, be a superhero. Swoop in and save the day. 
with whatever you're walking through. Can He be a superhero and come in and save us? Of course He can. He's God. Will He? I don't know. He's God. But I can trust in His goodness and I can trust in His love because that is who He is at His very core, His character and His nature. Maybe our expectation is that Jesus is going to fix things, you know, like WD-40, the agent that fixes all things like duct tape, WD-40, the combination pack. He's going to fix my marriage. He's going to fix my job. He's going to fix my health. He's going to fix my finances. He's going to fix this, fix that, fix. All we want is Mr. Fix-It. And then when He doesn't, Disappointment, disillusionment. Can He fix our marriage? Can He fix our health? Can He fix our finances? Can He fix our relationships? Of course He can. He's God. Will He? I don't know. But I know His goodness and His love chases after me. His character and nature is good. Maybe we expect Jesus to be the miracle worker, way maker, miracle worker. I need a miracle God and I expect it. Will He? Can He? Of course He can. Will He? I don't know. But I can trust in His goodness and His love that chases after me because that's His nature and character. Or maybe I expect Him to vindicate me, to set me free from the bondage to addiction, whatever that addiction is, or or misunderstanding, or vindicate me where I have been wronged by my boss or, or by this person to somehow be my deliverer. Can He? Of course He can deliver me. Will He? I don't know. But I can trust in His goodness and His faith that chases after me because He is good. You know, often our expectations of Jesus, just like the Pharisees, just like the disciples, just like the crowd, They are expectations of our own making. They are expectations that we place on Jesus. Now, I'm not saying, I am not saying we shouldn't have expectations in Jesus. But let them not be of our making. We often turn Jesus into the image of us, how we expect Him to be. Instead, we are made in His image. So it's not wrong to have expectations for Jesus to deliver us, to heal us, to restore us, to meet our needs. But those expectations are not my will be done, but Father, in who You are, in Your way, in Your time, Save us, save me. 
that Father, I would have the right expectation in who you are. And I know you are Jesus. You are the image of the invisible God. And let my expectation be in accordance with who you are, that I wouldn't be disappointed, disillusioned, give up. I expected to be married. Why aren't I married? It's not fair. I expected to be rich. I expected my marriage to last. I expected this. I expected that. I want us to end this morning to just take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to place His hand on our expectations. Or maybe you're sitting here with no expectations. You just come to church because you've got to come to church. Your friends come to church. Jesus wants to challenge us this morning to say, what are the expectations you have of me? Let them not be the ones of your own making, but let me reveal to you who I truly am. So let's just take a moment this morning, just while the band plays softly. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us now? Where are these expectations? What are you wanting to say? Just invite Him to speak to you for a minute. Father, we come before you this morning, whether it's as a disciple, a Pharisee, or a crowd. We come before you on Palm Sunday. Father, we ask, would you show us those areas where we have made our expectations in you to be a certain way of how you are to act or be or how you are to answer our prayers. We ask, Father, this morning, would you give us an expectation in you that's not of our own making, but, Father, the eyes to see who you truly are, the Messiah, the Saviour of our sins, the one who willingly laid down your life for us. Father, this morning we ask, as we end this time together, that we would truly see you the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that Father, even as we end this time singing the creed, we believe in God the Father. We believe in the Son. Father, that we believed You died and rose again. May that be a declaration of who You are. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to get connected with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.